God's Word, Joshua chapter number 5, and uh, we will be looking at the first three verses by way of opening and then be covering the entire chapter this evening. Verse number 1 of Joshua 5, the Bible reads, And it came to pass, when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their hearts melted, neither was their spirit in them any more, because of the children of Israel. At that time the Lord said unto Joshua, Make these sharp knives, and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made him sharp knives, and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. The title of the sermon tonight is this, The Circumcision at Gilgal. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the Bible. Lord, it is a joy to get to cover it verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept, and as Isaiah said, here little, there little, knowing, God, that your word, every, every word of it, every part of it, even the jot and tittle of the letters, Lord God, have uh, power and meaning in our lives. So tonight, as we look at this passage, I pray that each person would be helped and ministered to, and God, as we continue to try to march forward and be victorious in our Christian lives, that this passage would resonate in our hearts and God help us to cut away the sin, the private sin that can make its way in. And Lord, may we be pure in heart as we do our best to seek you and be victorious uh, in our Christian life with you. Bless us now this evening, we ask in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I would just want to say up front that uh, if you are a child in here and you don't know what circumcision is then my uh, encouragement to you would be to go home this evening and talk to your parents about that, all right? That's as much detail as I'm going to give on that topic, all right? Just to address the elephant in the room here. Now, um, uh, I will just say this uh, so that everyone, including the young ones in here, uh, don't feel like they're just left out. Circumcision, generically, is a very delicate surgery uh, that some people have that, it, that is very, very, very painful especially if that surgery is had uh, in the adult uh, uh, year. So uh, with that in mind, I think that's all you probably need to know if you don't know what it is in order to understand the context of the sermon. And the reason why I took a moment to say that is because I grew up in church and I was a little kid and sometimes I just felt left out uh, in the preaching. And I, and I want to make sure that the youngest listener in here uh, and most innocent listener in here is not left behind. So we're preaching verse by verse through the Bible, and we come to a passage that is vital to our preparation to live the Christian life to the fullest. Now, we have, in Joshua 1 through 4, we've accompanied the children of Israel as they left their holding place there on the other side of the Jordan. Two weeks ago, we saw how that they, uh, they traveled to the banks of the Jordan River and how that God allowed the priests with the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders to walk into the water until the water came up to somewhere at their knee, their ankle, uh, maybe halfway up their thigh, wherever it was. But as they walked into the Jordan River, there at its fullest, overflowing its banks, at harvest time, the waters 
parted. And as the waters parted, uh, the Israelites were able to entirely cross the Jordan River in a miraculous way. This entire nation uh, crossed over on dry ground as God performed a miracle for these people who sought spiritual victory. Much of life uh, is lived in a spirit of defeat. And I asked this morning in my sermon, how many of you are happy? Are you happy or unhappy? And I made the point that oftentimes in life, we're focused on what isn't going right in life instead of being able to see all of the things that are going right in life. And so many focus on what's wrong with their looks or what's wrong with their car or what's wrong with their spouse or what's wrong with their child or if they don't have children, what's wrong with someone else's child. It's so funny. I was so uh, cynical and uh, on a high horse about parenting thinking, oh, those parents need to get their kids in order. One day when I have kids, my kids won't act like that. And then I had kids. Amen. And you learn real fast not to be so critical of other people. But uh, what's wrong with your child or someone else's child? Uh, many focus on what's wrong with the church or what's wrong with my job. We notice the health that we don't have instead of the health that we do have. I've noticed that, right? Uh, when I have a knee that's hurting or my back hurts or, uh, you know, whatever it would be, my head hurts or maybe I've got a cold and I'm, I'm not breathing as well as I, I, I used to or I was or I normally would. I think to myself, uh, man, I'm sick. I've got this problem. Do I, you understand that if you have just a nagging illness, 95% of your health is still in perfect order, but we don't pay attention to the 95%. We pay attention to that 5% that seems to be out of order, don't we? We focus on those things that bring about a spirit of defeat, and many go through life with a complaining spirit. And this complaining spirit, I believe, is born out of a place of Two things of unbelief and discontentment. Unbelief and discontentment. We're wrapped up on those things that we're cynical about in life. We're wrapped up in those things that we just don't believe will come to pass. And then we're wrapped up in those things where we're not content. We're just not content. And uh, we want uh, this to be a little better. And we want this to work out a little different. And we wish this family member would treat us a certain way. Or, or, or we wish our boss would give us that raise that we've been due for a year or two. Or if that kid in my class at school would just be a little nicer to me. Or if my parents would give me a little more attention. Whatever it be, we're focused on what we don't have. Uh, we're focused on our cynical attitude. And as a result, what happens? As a result... Uh, we never get to see victory in our life because we live in a spirit of defeat. We live in a spirit of what's not right. What's not right. Um, the Lord wants you to have victory in your life. But what does that even mean? Well, it means that you go through life conquering, not being conquered. You go through life conquering, not being conquered. 
The children of Israel had everything going in their favor. I mean, they had all kinds of momentum. Uh, 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 emotion told them to move forward immediately and conquer Jericho. Logic would have told them to do the same. Uh, 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 any military strategist would have said, man, you have their enemies on their heels. And uh, man, they're afraid of you. And you just crossed the Jordan River in such spectacular fashion. Just march right into Jericho and take them out. But that God had other plans. You see, there were still some things from their past that had not yet been dealt with. God wanted the people to be fully surrendered. He wanted them to be fully set apart in every way, in every way. Even in ways that seemed quite private. For them to conquer what was in front of them, they first had to look back and conquer the monster behind them. Now let's, let's, let's look at three thoughts out of Joshua 5 as we look at this chapter where the Israelites were circumcised at Gilgal. Number one, point number one tonight, notice their preparation. Their preparation. Notice their preparation. Uh, and speaking of their circumcision, uh, in chapter 5, verse 1 down through verse 9, give us quite a bit of detail here. Uh, look at uh, letter A. Notice their preparation. Notice it was painful. It was painful. Look with me at Joshua 5. Verse 2 and 3, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make these sharp knives, knives, and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. This was a true test of faith. True test of faith. By the way, not just for the men, but for the women. Because for every man to be circumcised... That meant that they would lay defenseless as long as those men were laid, laid up healing from surgery. And so now that enemy very easily could have swept in and taken them out. And so for every man to be willing to submit to this meant that this left everyone, including the wives and children, vulnerable. And so they had to submit to God's plan, even if it didn't tactically make sense. And even if logically it didn't make sense. They would need several days to lie defenseless in their recovery while they healed. And there isn't a grown man who would want to go through this process. Not one. But if this is what God wanted, then to a man, to a man, that were willing to pass the faith test and submit to what God had commanded. Does God test our faith? And ask us to go through difficult and painful experiences. First Peter chapter 1 verse 7 says this, That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. A God is going to ask you to go through some painful things in the purifying process. God's going to ask you at times to be, uh, to not have what you want in life. I think about Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Jeremiah was ignored by his constituents, if you will. The kings hated him. And then he was taken away in the captivity to Babylon. 
and then sent back to Jerusalem. Many people believe that Jeremiah died sinking in a pit. He died in, he died in rejection. You say, well, man, if that's what following God entails, count me out. Understand that Jeremiah was used greatly by God to do a lot of good things. And Jeremiah lived his life to bring glory and honor to the Lord. Jeremiah's life was a success. God at times is going to take you through some things. And he's going to bring pain into your life. Physical pain? Yep, sometimes. Sometimes. Hey, how about social pain? Yep, sometimes. I have talked about some of the things I've been through socially. I've talked about my time of being kicked out of that church ministry in Maryland. And I have talked openly, publicly about... Uh, challenges that Angela and I have had in our marriage going back many years and uh, times we went through that, that really pulled at the fabric of our marriage and really challenged whether we were going to even stay married or not. You say, Pastor, why does God allow people to go through things like that? Because it gives you a greater heart of compassion toward others when they go through problems and trials. I can now sit in my office with a couple who are at the, just the throes of problems and going through pain and struggle and uh, in a very ugly place in their marriage. And I, with a tear in my eye, can look at them and say, I know exactly where you're at and I know exactly how you feel. Sometimes God's going to put you through trials because you know what He's trying to do. He's trying to refine you. He's trying to bring that ugliness out like the dross in that precious metal so it can be scraped off the top and you can be a pure vessel. Their preparation, they had to go through this time of circumcision and it was painful. Let her be. Notice it was personal. It was personal. Joshua 5. Go back to verse 4. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise. All the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war, died in the wilderness by the way after they came out of Egypt. Now all the people that came out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, then they had not circumcised. For the children of Israel walked forty years in the wilderness, till all the people that were men of war, which came out of Egypt, were consumed, because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord, and to whom the Lord sware that he would not show them the land, which the Lord sware unto their fathers, that he would give us a land that floweth with milk and honey, and their children whom he raised up in their stead, them Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not uh, circumcised them by the way. And it came to pass, when they had done circumcising all the people, that they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole. The need of circumcision was symbolic to Israel's greater problem. Take your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy 10. Let's do a little bit of a Bible study here. And understand that this is not so much about an outward exercise as it is an inward problem. Um, they had national sin that needed to be confessed and forsaken on a heart level. Moses had explained to them sometime prior that these surgeries were coming. He had taught them that the real problem was not an outward issue, but an inward issue. Look at Deuteronomy 10. Deuteronomy is the re-giving of the law. 
This is Moses teaching this generation the Word and the Scripture and, and giving them the law prior to his death, prior to the baton being handed to Joshua. And so he gave it first to their parents, and now he's turning around and he's giving it to them. And so, uh, jo- uh, rather, Moses had told them that this was coming. Look at Deuteronomy 10.16. He says here, Circumcise, therefore, look at this, the foreskin of your what? Of your heart. And be no more stiff-necked. You see there? You're stiff-necked. And you need to get rid of those things in your heart that's causing you to be hard-hearted and stiff-necked. And go over to Romans chapter 2. Let's look at a couple passages in the New Testament. When we get to the New Testament, there were ethnic and religious Jews that wanted to mandate outward circumcision for the men as part of salvation. And Paul addresses this multiple times and explains it, uh, explains it is not the outward body that's the issue, it's the inward heart that needs the operation. Hey, listen, the Jews were required to have this outward circumcision, this, uh, th- this procedure done. Uh, but listen, when you get to New Testament grace, cir- outward circumcision is not required for salvation. The larger issue is what's going on down in your heart. Look at Romans 2 and verse 25 through 29 explains this in great detail. But look at verse 29. It says, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart... In the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Listen, God is looking at your heart and he wants to know this is personal. He wants to know, have you cut away the sin in your heart? How about Colossians chapter two? You're in Romans. Turn over to Colossians, Romans, first and second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Make your way over to Colossians chapter number 2, and look with me at verse number 11. The, uh, the heart of the problem here is a problem with the heart. The, the, the heart is the issue, uh, uh, the sin that's there in the heart, the sin that has gripped and won't let go, the sin that no one sees but you. Uh, look here, Colossians 2.11, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made, look at this, without hands, without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. There is a cutting away of sin that would rule in your heart. It was an, uh, it was an identifier of your past. Listen, uh, we're going to cut this away and your identity is going to change from being a reprobate and heathen to where now you are a child of God because these sins have been cut away from your heart. Look at verse 12. We see this identity buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation or surgery of God who hath raised him from the dead and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Oh, I love verse 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Amen. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. And so we see here that this is something that is very personal. This 
cutting away, this taking away of this old identity and this sinful behavior is to be cut away from our hearts so that we can be, uh, uh, we, we can have a new identity in Christ. I think of 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. We have a, a new identity. We're a new creation. Now we've talked about how uh, that this was painful and how that this was personal, but let me give you another thought here. And this isn't, this is not letter C, but maybe you can just jot this over to the side of letter B here. Uh, this was private. This was private. This was a private matter. Only those very, very close to you know whether you are whether whether know whether or not you are circumcised outwardly, and only you and God know about the sin that you have yet to cut away from your heart. It's this morning we talked about the the tree of Psalm one. I talked about that tree that fell over on top of that house. It looked strong until the storm came and blew it over. And many Christians look like they have it all together outwardly, but inwardly there are those sins that you've yet to cut away from your heart. I compiled a list of some of these sins that we can hide in our heart. And this list is no, in no way is it comprehensive. I'm sure there are many others that could be added. But here are a few I've put. Let me just uh, give you these here. The first one I put was unbelief. You know, you can come to church and you can look like you're a believer in Christ. But you've not been circumcised in heart. You're still an imposter. You're still an imposter. In fact, Paul had a word for people that came into church looking like believers but weren't. I'm talking about Jewish people that look like believers or weren't. He called them dogs. You know, Jews call Gentiles dogs. But Paul turned around and said about the Jews who wanted to push outward circumcision on the Gentiles and works-based salvation on the Gentiles, he called them the dogs. And you know what? You can say all the right things outwardly and still be lost on the inside. Let me rattle the rest of these off with little to no comment. Here's some other sins that are private that can exist in our heart that only you and maybe those close to you know about. Pride, lust, wrath, Bitterness, deceit, stealing, a covetous heart, a stubborn spirit. You may come to church and have everyone else fooled into believing that you're humble and that you keep your, your, your mind and eyes in the right place and that you are docile. You don't have an anger or wrath problem. You may have everyone uh, fooled into believing that you forgive and that you always tell the truth and you never take that which doesn't belong to you and uh, you, you maintain the spirit uh, free of covetousness or stubbornness, but deep down inside you know and those closest to you know. And let me say this evening that you cannot go conquer Jericho until you first stop at Gilgal and you cut away the private sins, the personal sins in your heart. And let me say tonight that that process oftentimes is painful. Reaching down inside where you have bitterness that's eating you up over something that happened in your past and you won't let it go and it's eating you alive and you say, Pastor, I won't let it go. You know, let me tell you why, because it's, it's, it's private, isn't it? It's personal, isn't it? 
And to cut it away would be painful. Some of you in here tonight have had an anger problem since you were a child. You still have an anger problem. Maybe people at church here don't know it, but you know you have an anger problem. Your family knows you have an anger problem. Cutting that thing away is not easy. It's a painful process. On down the list I could go with each one of these sins. Before you can move forward and conquer your Jericho, you've got to deal with the problem of your heart. Letter C. Lastly, we see it was paramount. It was paramount. Joshua 5, verse 9. Now, this is interesting. Look here. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day, the circumcision has been accomplished, this day have I rolled away, look at this, the reproach of Egypt from off you. Wherefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal, or the rolling away unto this day. Now, um, the reproach of Egypt, what was that? These, these Israelites didn't have a problem with idolatry, at least not this generation. And this generation of Israelites didn't seem to have a problem with stubbornness. So what was the reproach of Egypt? Well, uh, turn over to Numbers 14. Let me lay out my hypothesis as to what this was. I believe it was the sinful brokenness that had been carried out of Egypt and into the wilderness. You see, the Lord had gotten His people out of Egypt. Hear me now. But He had not gotten Egypt out of His people. You hear me? He got the people out of Egypt, but man, Egypt was still in the heart of those people. And until God could break Egypt out of their hearts, they were not ready for victory. They were not ready for victorious living. You see, the Lord had gotten His people out of Egypt. He had gotten them there to Kadesh Barnea some 40 years prior, but that Egyptian spirit down in their hearts was the limiting factor. Look at Numbers 14, look at verse 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night, and the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God that we had died in this wilderness? And Wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? This was their attitude some 40 years prior, right when they were getting ready to enter into their promised land. Look down at verse 11. Look down at verse 11. And so the Lord is very, very angry with the Israelites over this. The Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me? For all the signs which I have showed among them, I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee, Moses, of thee a great nation and mightier than they. And Moses said unto the Lord, Then the Egyptians shall hear it, for thou broughtest up this people in thy might from among them. And so God is so angry with the Israelites, He wants to kill every last one of them all the way down to their infants and start completely over with Moses. And Moses says, hold on a minute here, Lord. If you do that, what about the Egyptians who saw your great hand? You're going to hurt your reputation way back with what you did there. And look at verse 19. We see that Moses continues to beg God here. He says, pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people 
according to the greatness of thy mercy. And as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even until now, and the Lord said, I have pardon according to thy word, or to Moses' word. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice, Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them uh, that provoke me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he uh, had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land wherein he went and his seed shall possess it. And we know Joshua also later on in this passage is also given a pass in. So Joshua and Caleb, the only two men over 20 to make it in, all of the rest of them got what they wanted. They died in the wilderness. Now I'm going somewhere with this. I'm going to make a personal application to you. So please continue to give me your attention. When they were left to wander in the wilderness, the circumcision ceased. And presumably, the Passover observance also ceased. You see, because those who were uncircumcised were not allowed to participate in the Passover. So by not circumcising their boys, there would have been a reason for that Passover to fall off. It was almost like God put His covenant on pause, on pause with the Israelites. And for 40 years, they wandered. God still took care of them. He still fed them. So put the, the pillar of fire over them at night and the cloud over them by day to protect them. But they wandered in the wilderness till they died. Where did it all start? Where did it all start? It started, it began with a painful, personal, and private matter that was attached to their heart. By submitting to this process of circumcision... They were agreeing to do things not their way, but God's way. Egypt had finally been removed from the hearts of God's people. So, how about you? There are many who have been saved from the world, but the world still dwells in their heart. There is an unwillingness by many to roll away the reproach of their past life and fully embrace through a submissive heart all that God has in store. I want to ask you tonight, are you camped at Kadesh Barnea denying God's power or are you camped at Gilgal saying, Lord, whatever it is you want me to do, no matter how painful it is, I'm willing to go through it. I'm willing to you, for you to do whatever is necessary for me to see victory, for me to conquer, for me to overcome. Here I am, Lord, Fully surrender to you. Here I am, Lord. Whatever issue that you know of, deep in my heart, that's a problem. I surrender to you. Will you give me victory? You see, you can't move forward until you're willing to deal with the sin of your past and, and cut it out of your life. It was paramount. You understand that you must, be, you must be willing to prepare for victory before you can see victory. Number one, their preparation. Number two, notice their Passover. Their Passover. Look at me at Joshua chapter 5. Look at me at verse number 10. Letter A, we see they remembered what God had done. 
Now this is great application for the Lord's Supper in a few minutes. All right, look at this. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. It would seem that this was the first time that Israel had observed their Passover in 40 years. Now that the circumcision had been accomplished, they were prepared for a victorious future. Go back to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Uh, what did it mean to observe the Passover? What was that all about? Uh, by observing the Passover, they commem uh, commemorated their salvation from Egypt. Look at Exodus chapter 12 and look at verse number 11. Here, uh, God is getting ready to perform the tenth plague where He'll kill the firstborn, where the blood's not been applied to the doorpost, and, and then His people will be set free. Verse 11, And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, this Passover dinner, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hands, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And uh, you know the instruction here was they had taken a lamb without blemish or spot. They had killed that lamb. They had put the blood on the doorposts of their home. And that night when the, the, the death angel passed by, all those that had applied the blood to the doorpost, the lamb passed by and that was missed. And, uh, they were spared the death of that child. And you know what? Every year moving forward, they were to do that, including up to current day, Orthodox Jews still perform and hold to this Passover celebration, the blood had been applied and death passed over them. Uh, turn over to 1 Corinthians 11, and this has to do with our Lord's Supper celebration in just a few minutes. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 11. Now, in the Old Testament, they had a ceremony that pointed to the death of a Messiah. In our time, we have a ceremony that points back to the death of of our Messiah, our Christ. And uh, just as they had their ordinances, their Passover ordinance, that remind them of a coming lamb that would die, we have an ordinance that reminds us of a lamb that did come and die. And look with me at 1 Corinthians 11. Look at verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance, remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death Till he come. And so uh, here we have our ordinance, our remembrance of what the Lord has done. Now, I want you to notice the order here. Hold your Bibles in 1 Corinthians 11. I want you to notice the order back in Joshua 5. Watch this. Listen up. Listen, listen. First, they circumcised their hearts, and then they participated in the Passover. You hear that? First they dealt with the sin, and then they observed that great sacrifice. Look at 1 Corinthians 11, look at verse 28. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread, and drink of that cup. 
So we're, we're to examine ourselves first. You're to take a moment and look at your own heart and see what's there and, and get that spiritual bath we talked about at the least this morning. Maybe you need to reach in and there's some sinful habits down inside you need to cut out before you partake. Look at verse 29. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep, or many go on to heaven, many die and go on to heaven. Now, um, they could not participate in the Passover until first they had gone through the circumcision. I think there's a lot of people who are not as careful as they ought to be with these elements down here. They pop that wafer in their mouth, but they're still holding on to Egypt in their heart. You make sure you deal with Egypt in your heart before you partake of those elements. What does that wafer represent? It represents the broken body of our Lord and Savior. What does that grape juice there, that vine juice, that wine represent? It represents the spilled blood of Jesus. Now, we don't believe that they become the body and blood of Jesus. That would be cannibalism. But what we do believe is they represent what Jesus did for us on Calvary. And when you're going to take those elements into your body... You need to make sure that your own heart is right with the Lord. You need to make sure you've taken the time to examine your heart and confess your sin and deal with those pesky habit sins that have a grip on you. Get those things dealt with. Circumcise your heart. We see here they, in commemorating the Passover, they remembered what God had done. Let her be, look at this. They realized what God was doing. Go back to Joshua 5. You can hold on to 1 Corinthians 11 for the Lord's Supper ceremony if you'd like. Stick a marker in there. We'll be back there toward the end of the service. Joshua 5. Look at verse 11. How quickly did they get to see results, victory? How quickly did they get to see victory as a result of their obedience to the order of circumcision? Look at this. Immediately. This is, this is great. Joshua 5 verse 11. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel, Israel manna anymore, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Wow! Forty years they'd eaten the same meal every day. Forty years. Can you imagine how exhausting that would be? Listen, I love steak. I had steak for lunch today. I love a good steak. But if you fed me steak every day for 40 years, I think I'd probably get a little tired of it. Amen? How many here love pizza? Any pizza? This is, this is an Italian area. Any pizza lovers? Amen? Look, I could probably eat pizza for a week straight and I'd be okay. But you get me into day 10, day 20... Day 30, and you know, I'm ready to move on. They had eaten the same 
basic ingredients every day for 40 years. Think about this. You have people that are 40 years old in this story who've never eaten anything but manna. That's it. Now, it was heaven's food, so I'm sure it was good. But variety is what? Yeah, it's the spice of life. Some of you couldn't give me the Bible verse this morning, but you know that one, don't you? Amen? (laughs) Variety is the spice of life. Now, watch this. They went through the circumcision. They ate the Passover. And look, immediately God removed the manna and they got to eat of the harvest right in front of them. We know they crossed that river at harvest time. Now, who planted this crop? They didn't plant it. Can I tell you who planted the crop? The people whose hearts melted within them within them out of fear that went running from Gilgal to hide in the fortified city of Jericho. They abandoned their crops. And the Israelites got to come in and they got to enjoy this food, this corn that had been there. I have to tell you that I enjoy a good head of corn on the cob. Amen? Uh, listen, you get some of that corn uh, that uh, is sweet corn. I can put down six, seven, eight ears of corn there. Just eat that thing up and you can have a whole meal of just corn. And I bet that day those Israelites were enjoying the corn of the land. And God no longer sent manna. Now understand that that manna was only supposed to hold them over for three or four months. But because of their sin at Kadesh Barnea, they have been banned to the wilderness and forced to eat the same meal for 40 years. But because they were willing to leave Kadesh Barnea behind and willing to embrace uh, the, the pain of Gilgal, all of a sudden now they began to get to see the blessings of the milk and honey. Now I have to say to you uh, this uh, evening uh, that uh, the Christian life sure is a whole lot more fun when you live it victoriously than when you live it uh, carnally. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9 says, But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of men the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. I love when God does little things for me throughout my week to remind me of His presence in my life. Um, I love the answers to prayer uh, that I get over a misplaced item or the small acts of kindness that uh, come my way from others. Sometimes I'll have somebody drop some food off by the office that's just a treat and a surprise. Other times someone will bring me a cup of coffee and uh, other times uh, uh, I'll have somebody slip me a gift card. And, and listen, all those things are fun. They're great. And it's a reminder that, hey, God uh, loves me. He's put me in a community of people who I can give to and sometimes give up my direction. And, and listen, I get to see the goodness of God realized in my life in a powerful way. Why? Because when you're busy obeying and submitting to the Lord, He gives to you and He gives to you abundantly in such a way where your eye cannot even begin to see, your ear cannot even begin to hear, neither can your heart even begin to understand the wonderful things, the the great things that God prepares for uh, those that love Him. Uh, God wants to open your eyes to His goodness. I just want to also throw this in here. I think that to the carnal Christian and to the spiritual Christian this evening, God is just as good to all of us. But can I tell you one big difference? The carnal Christian can only see the negative. Whereas the spiritual Christian is able to see the hand of God in the positive. 
Man, I've seen God drop loads of blessings on people. And you know what I see? I see an entitled, spoiled, rotten attitude where they don't get anything from it. Hey, can't you see the blessings of God in your life? Yeah, but my back hurts. Yeah, but can't you see that God's been really good to you? Yeah, but my car broke down last week and it cost me $300 to get it fixed. Now, $300, I think you got off good, amen? Can't you see the blessing in that? But you have someone who's spiritual and they have a bad week. Or what would be marked as a bad week by other people. And you know what they see? They can see God's hand of goodness in the little things along the way. Do you realize all of the good that God is doing for you? Or are you only focused on what isn't right in your life? We see their preparation and their Passover. Number three, we see the Lord's presence. The Lord's presence. Look at Joshua 5, verse 13. I love this. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. This is amazing. Joshua's out surveying Jericho. I imagine maybe he went out to pray and talk to the Lord about how they were going to go about conquering this city. He's forward thinking as any good leader ought to, ought to be doing. And he sees a large man with a sword drawn. And Joshua was not fearful. Instead of running from the man, he went toward the man and he said, Are you for us or are you against us? And the man said, you got the wrong question. <laughs> the question isn't, am I, are, am I for you or against you? The question is, are you with me? I'm the captain of the Lord's host. Are you on my side? Who was this? This was Jesus. This was Jesus in the Old Testament. See, an angel wouldn't just let anybody bow down and worship them. This was God in human form. This was Jesus. Now, Warren Wearsby put it this way, and I had to put this in here because I just thought this was excellent. He said this, he said, To Abraham the pilgrim, the Lord came as a traveler to share in a friendly meal. To Jacob the schemer, the Lord Jesus came as a wrestler to bring him to the place of submission. The, feet, the three Hebrew boy, uh, the three Hebrew men rather, met him uh, as their uh, companion in the furnace of fire and Joshua met the Lord Jesus as the captain of the Lord's armies. Then he said this, he said, Our Lord always comes to us when we need Him and in the way we need Him. This is what Joshua needed. Joshua needed the Lord to come along and show Himself mighty and strong. Now, uh, Moses fought on two separate occasions for God's presence to stay with Israel. 
And God did stay with Israel because Moses fought so hard for it. Sadly, sadly, many Christians are totally unaware of the presence of God in their day-to-day life. Pastor, how, how do I know if I'm aware or not of God's presence? Well, here is a uh, way for you to tell. When something doesn't go your way, are you quick to, oh, what's going on here? Or do you stop and say, okay, Lord, guide me forward. Teach me what you want me to learn right here. Hey, I don't understand why I'm being accused of this, but Lord, you know that I'm innocent. You know that I'm good-willed. You know that I want to do right. This accusation is not true. Lord, what are you trying to teach me through this? Thank you, Lord, for your presence in my life. Thank you for guiding me forward. You ever you remember back to being a little kid? Some of you maybe here still are, but the adults in the room, you may be being a small child. Did you ever get separated from your parents in a store, a large store, even if it was just for a few minutes? Remember how fearful it was to be five, six, seven years old and maybe wondering if you've lost your parents for good? Anybody here like me ever go through something like that? That is is the feeling you ought to have if you go one day or one moment of the day and feel as though God's presence is just not with you. You see, you need Him by your side each and every step of the way. You need to know that it's His presence that we need. Letter A, Christ demands authority. Christ demands authority. Look at Joshua 5 verse 14. And he said, Nay, nay, no, Joshua, nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And so when Joshua realized who it was that was, that was there with him, he immediately threw himself on the ground and said, Tell me what you want me to do. Tell me, you are in charge. No, Lord, I'm not in charge of Israel. You're in charge of Israel. I'm just simply the human that's leading, but you're the one that's in charge. And we need to always remember that all authority and all power belongs to God. And uh, if you are standing in a place of leadership, you do so on behalf of God. And it is to God to whom you will answer for how you use that authority. You are to submit to God before you lead others. Ephesians 4.15 says, Speak the truth in love, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him in all things which is the head, the head, even Christ. Christ is my head. Christ is your head. And it is to Him that we are to Submit. Every uh, husband here needs to remember that before you are uh, uh, have authority over your wife, you first need to understand that you are second in command of your home. God, the Lord Jesus, is in charge of your home. You are to submit to Him. Moms and dads, you are not the, uh, the final authority in the lives of your children. The Lord Jesus is. It's to Him we submit. It's to Him we surrender. It's to Him we follow. 
Uh, listen, Pastor Lejeune is not the final authority at White Oak Baptist Church. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who is the author and finisher of our faith. It is Christ who is the chief cornerstone of the church. It is to Him that Pastor Lejeune is the surrender. It is to Him that the deacons of this church are to uh, uh, come under and we serve the Lord together. He is the head. Understand tonight that you cannot conquer anything. You cannot live victorious if you are the one that's in charge of your own life. You must surrender authority to the Lord Jesus and say, Hey, not my way, but yours. You know what God's doing here? He's throwing them all kinds of, uh, of tactical, oddball decisions to see how they'll respond. Hey, you know what? Let's have, now that we've got the Jordan River out of the way, let's go ahead and have all the men get circumcised, and then now no one can defend the women and the children, and none of the men can defend themselves. You know what? That's a tactical, terrible decision, unless the Lord God gives it. Hey, you know what? In the next chapter we're going to see, we're going to watch them march around Jericho six times, but not do anything. Uh, Again, not the most tactically, military, militarily tactical uh, decision. Not the best decision to make unless you're the Lord. You know what God wants? He wants to know that when He tells you to do something and you don't want to do it or it doesn't make sense to you, that you're going to do it anyway. Hey, here's a verse for you. Lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him. He shall direct thy paths. And when the Lord is directing your path, you're going to end up in the right place. Letter B. We see not only does He demand our authority. Letter B. Christ deserves adoration. He deserves adoration. Look back at verse 15. And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoes from off thy foot. For the place wherein thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. And this is really the point of the whole sermon. Listen to me now. When we reverence and worship the Lord, then and only then, we surrender fully to what He asks of us, no matter how personal, no matter how painful, and no matter how private the issue. We surrender. Because why? We adore, we worship, we seek to glory and bring honor and praise to our Creator and King. The psalmist worded it this way. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before Him all the earth. When we get a proper perspective of who God is and how great He is and how weak and little we are, then we fall down and say, whatever you ask, Lord, I am yours and I will follow. Then we're ready to go forth and see great victory in our life. Hey, we're going we're gonna to jump into Joshua 6 next week and we're going to see them conquer their very first city. And it's going to be great. And you may have some things in your life that you want to conquer, but it begins right now, looking inwardly at those private sins and saying, Lord, it's time for me to get in there and cut some things out. 
Let's have your heads bowed nice, our heads bowed nice closed right now. I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you personally a question. Each person here, I want to speak to you individually. Each individual. I want you to give me your attention as though it's just me and you and we're having a private conversation. Can we do that? I want you to look in your heart right now. What sin needs to be cut away? What is it? You see, until you deal with that private sin, you won't be able to adore our Lord. You won't be able to uh, see victory in your life. What sin is it? Hey, tonight, are you willing to bend a knee and say, whatever it takes, Lord, I want victory. No matter how painful it is. Oh, it's private, but no matter how painful it is. Hey, I want to get to the bottom of it. I believe God's got great days in your future. I believe that you can stand on top of mountains and see great victory. But you can't leave Gilgal and go to Jericho until you deal with this. Whatever it is that God's put His finger on in your life. Before I pray, I want to say this to you. There are some sins that you cannot defeat on your own power. And you cannot defeat on your own. There's some sins that you need to go to a Christian brother or sister or a spouse. And you need to ask them to hold you accountable and help you overcome that struggle. And whether it's lust or bitterness or pride, maybe it's an anger 